What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome back to the 25th episode of the Mass Effect Lorecast. Holy moly, where does the time go? This is your host, Tom Robots, and I'm back with our Mass Effect lore specialist, the Spectre himself, and Seven, the legend. What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm glad that you said specialist and not like master or expert, because every week I'm, I'm researching these episodes, and, and every week I'm finding more and more evidence of how much I don't know about this game. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, having done a number of these lore casts where I'm the one doing the research, I absolutely understand the feeling that is yes <laughs> that's how it goes so um yeah like yeah. every week i'm just like wow i am much dumber than i thought well, and that, that kind of goes for life too it's just ignorance like you know it's the einsteinian bubble right the larger the bubble yeah. of knowledge gets the more it butts up against information you didn't realize you didn't know so yeah that's mm. just kind of how it goes but uh yeah man we're we're moving on with our episode two or our part two of the alliance so we've got some more stuff to dig into. If you thought we were done talking about the Alliance, oh no, oh no, we have a whole nother episode because there's more to discuss. So oh, yes, yes, there is. <laughs> we have a, we have a lot more to go through. Yeah. So where do we where do we pick this back up from? Where do we start off? So I think when we left off last episode, we had just discussed that space travel proved to be incredibly costly for the individual nations of Earth. And that need coupled with the discovery of the Prothean observation facility on Mars, it results in this larger government being formed with the wealth and the military might of all of Earth's 18 most powerful countries combined. Right. So, and as, uh, as we mentioned last week, it's, it's more or less the overarching government of humanity, but it wasn't always thought of like this. In fact, at first, it, at first, it, it begins as this military exploratory necessity with very little political power outside of the realms of defense and research. Um, in the game, it's referred to as quote unquote supranational, which means its authority supersedes that of any one nation, which by the start of Mass Effect 1, and certainly during the Reaper War, is proven true. However, and I, and I want to throw a little shout out here to one of our uh, listeners, there's a little known inconsistency across the games in how the Alliance's political power is framed. Uh, we were made aware of this by one very astute listener. Uh, thank you to Anna. Um, apparently in Mass Effect 2 and 3, the Codex says the Alliance possesses supranational authority outside the Sol system, taking responsibility for all extrasolar colonies. 
it does not make that same stipulation, I believe, in the original Mass Effect 1 codex entry, but Earth itself is still divided among nation states. So there leaves this inconsistency and this question about sovereignty and legality. Um, you can imagine this larger government sometimes butting heads with the individual nations of Earth, which still insist that they are sovereign. Interesting that that yeah, that's a, a weird dynamic. This idea that you have like this large, powerful, extra national or supranational entity outside of the planet, and yet the planet itself is still divided. That's that's really odd. So um, okay. So what causes the alliance itself to gain political power? So there's another kind of gap in the lore that I ran into when I was looking this up because I was looking for a smoking gun, but it's not so black and white like that. It's, it's more nuanced. There's not a lot written in the lore that explicitly says, oh, this right here is the exact moment the nations of Earth decided to give up large parts of their uh, power, their sovereignty to a greater power. <laughs> but we as the players are led to believe that the first contact war really propelled this evolution. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, it seems like a dire situation in most uh, political situations where large amounts or where there are large changes in uh, expansions of power usually come from um, very dire situations to the safety of, say, the populace or threats of significant danger. So that, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's that's the case here as well, um, because, you know, the first contact war, it may have only lasted a few months, and it didn't have many casualties, about 632, I believe, human casualties. Not that costly of a war from that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so that raises the question, why was this the inflection point? Right. Uh, well, so this next part is my own speculation here. Just, But personally, I think there's a few reasons we can infer from what we already know in the lore. Um, from the time humanity, this is the first reason, from the time humanity left the soul system to the moment that the first contact war started, they were expanding willy-nilly, just settling every world they could, opening every mass relay they got their filthy little phalanges on. <laughs> willy-nilly and the filthy phalanges. <laughs> oh, there's no. the next band. <laughs> there's oh, no. the next band. I swear, the I'm, country I'm really not trying to do this. <laughs> oh, no. They're the country act with the banjo. Uh, hey, howdy, old. This is Willie Fernilli and the Philly Flanges. Come on down. <laughs> it's it's similar to um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, if you've ever seen that. <laughs> I'm the man of constant sorrow. No, it, it needs to be something other than the man of constant sorrow. It needs to be like the, um, I don't know. We need to pick one of the races. It would. They could sing like... Um, I'm proud to be an Earthican, <laughs> where at least I know I'm free. <laughs> All right. Anyway. They're part of the terra firma party. Um, I'm the Turian of constant sorrow. <laughs> I, I, I swore that I was going to bring this back around. <laughs> they're, they're part of the, the pro-Earth party. They're probably like big into Cerberus and whatnot. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. But they were expanding, uh, you know, consequences be damned. And so humans living on on worlds other than Earth probably wanted political representation. You know, that whole pesky no taxation without representation thing. It's been kind of an issue in the past. Um, yeah. But yeah. If, if these exploratory efforts were multinational in nature, then that also raises another conundrum. Who had the jurisdiction over them? The Alliance? Because the Alliance at this point was just a military and exploratory conglomeration of the different countries' space programs. But the Alliance didn't have a legitimate like governmental system. There was no bureaucracy in place at that time. So clearly there are some self-governance concerns here. Right. Okay. Yep. And so that's just the first reason. The second reason why I, I, I think that um why I think that this was the inflection point, the first contact war, is because 
of course, humanity's first encounter with an alien, intelligent alien species didn't go too well. Uh, and, and as we talked about in episode two, the fear of aliens spreads very quickly after that. And, and mm-hmm. while it creates this stark division between humanity and everything else, along with some xenophobia, it likewise exaggerates some growing unity among other humans. This quote unquote, you know, we must come together to defend our own if we want to stand a chance. Um, and as we know throughout history and in times of crisis and when presented with overwhelming opposition, groups of people often sacrifice individual liberties for collective security. Right, right. And that's what I was, I was talking about before. I, I can imagine that this became a very easy political platform for most of the uh, the <laughs> the currently in power world leaders to rally uh, under. Yeah, I can imagine it was probably, you know, in in the universe, it was probably something along the lines of support the troops, you know, mm-hmm. who what what political leader in the United States would want to or even try to get elected by saying, no, you know what? I don't support the troops. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, <laughs> hmm, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Hmm. Nope. Not a good platform. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not going to not going to produce votes. Um, I, I'm actually no- not for us. Uh, no, yeah, no, they're not going to say that. You know, in the, in the fight against cancer, have we even considered the other side? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so there, there is a third reason, a practical, a very practical reason to why the first contact war is this inflection point I'm talking about. And that's because after the Alliance decides to take the fight to the Turians and liberate Shanxi, the Citadel Council steps in, negotiates the peace treaty, which doesn't really have any severe penalties against humanity like forfeiting colonies or anything like that. The alliance becomes very popular after that because in humanities, you know, perception, they just won this war against this alien species that's so far advanced and could have easily kicked their ass, you know, but they just won this war and then they got off scot-free for it. Um, all of a sudden, there is this very strong need. Um, well, before I get there, uh, the, the Alliance becomes very popular. And like I said, and this this series of events, along with its popularity, introduces all of humanity to the galactic community. And all of a sudden, uh, there is this strong need for humanity to interact with the Milky Way with one voice. And the Alliance founds its parliament. So three reasons put quite simply, humanity knew that it needed the alliance. You know that like after this event, they were selling alliance T-shirts and stickers like the alliance, like everybody was flying an alliance flag like this became the thing everyone rallied around. Right. Like, yeah, this like became war bonds. Yes. It, yeah. This became like the household thing. Like everybody like 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 post uh, 9-11, you know, every American had an American flag outside their house and a T-shirt and like like all of that stuff. Like you were pro-American because America needed you and 9-11, blah, 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 blah. This, this is the sort of thing, right? Like, oh, we were attacked by aliens and we stood up against them and we kicked their butts. And it was the alliance that did it. We all came together and we did it together. Pro-alliance. We defended humanity. We defended humanity and the alliance did it because we all came together pro-alliance. Like, it, you know that that's, right. that's exactly what would have happened here. And it would have had very kumbaya tones to it, too, because you have <laughs> these soldiers from different nations. Kumbaya. <laughs> yeah. You have these soldiers from different nations who were previously, you know, at, at odds with each other. But now they've come together against a common enemy and they're fighting side by side, defending humanity. Um, and so, yeah, not a hard sell, like you said. So now after they found their alliance because like i said humanity needed that one voice to interact with the galaxy uh, with the alliance functions as more than just a defense branch parliament um or for other american folks who are unfamiliar with the term parliament means basically congress um it helps unified responses to crises issues and topics of galactic importance like interstellar trade And Mm -hmm. since it's humanity's avenue for having that one voice in politics, the Alliance supplies an ambassador, later a counselor, to the Citadel. Um, And the first human ambassador is actually named Anita Doyle. 
interesting person. She's pretty bold, um, but seems to be fair. And we're first introduced to her in the book Mass Effect Revelation, the first of the trilogy of books that Drew Carpishan wrote as a companion piece to the trilogy. Um, highly encourage again going to check those out really awesome series gives you a good insight into the political situation that the alliance is basically in uh prior to the first contact war and then shortly thereafter um but by the beginning of mass effect one and actually before then in in 2165 humanity already has an embassy uh at the citadel so this is really only years, like several years after the first contact war, uh, that they gain an embassy on the Citadel. And this is a big feat. You know, as we've mentioned in other episodes before, like the Volus episode on uh, maybe the Elcor episode, these other races, some of them are pretty unhappy with humanity's quick uh, or with the council's quick acceptance of humanity, because some of these races have spent a ton of time working for that recognition, working for that political influence, that clout, and some still don't have their own embassy like the Volus. Um, So, and humanity goes to war with one of the galactic peacekeeping species, uh, (laughs) wins the war and eight years later has an embassy on the Citadel. America. You know, it, it, yeah, it, it basically, like, right. it's pretty unbelievable, like, the boldness of it. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were one of these other client race species, you'd probably look at it like humans and just think, fucking dicks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, these guys. Yeah, yeah. We show up and we're like, you know, we kick somebody's butt and we're like, that's right. And we better get a seat at the council. <laughs> yeah, it's showing up late like right. hamburger on their shirt and shit <laughs> right right we're like we're like the um i don't know like like the bully in the 80s like teen show that shows right. up and Adoyal expects rules right right and we expect to be like treated special because we're like the you know the popular kid in class and everyone else is like what no no you don't get to do that the systems alliance parliament uh which is housed at arcturus station Yes, the same station that's been completely destroyed by Reapers in Mass Effect 3 is led by a prime minister. Um, And, you know, uh, it also coordinates the governance of each of of Earth's colonies. And it reserves some political seats for what they call spacers, um, because the spacers need representation as well. They're people who spend their lives in space, not planet side long enough to be considered permanent residents of any one um body did you we did you get a chance to check out uh the expanse i've only watched the first episode still okay uh, so okay. i definitely I know need to watch more of that. i know you were thinking about checking it out this last week because uh the, the, in that show as well people who are born and live their lives in space off planet are called spacers they, they go by other names as well but sometimes they'll refer to them as spacers i believe I wonder if if any of the writers were fans of the other content. You know what I mean? Maybe. Um, I think those books were published before Mass Effect became a thing. Or at least the first ones were. But yeah, so I would wonder if the Mass Effect uh, writers yeah. were fans of the Expanse. But possibly we digress. Uh, we don't know a few things about the Alliance uh, system of government. We don't know how they award their seats. You know, is their parliament proportional to the population of these colonies, or does each colony get equal representation, similar to the Senate? in the United States politics. We don't know if the prime minister is appointed or elected, and we don't know just how much the alliance gives individual nations a say into its own affairs. We know that the alliance you know, respects the sovereignty, or at least in theory, respects the sovereignty of these individual nations on Earth, meaning the alliance doesn't tries not to meddle in their affairs. But does that go both ways? I don't know. Mm. OK, so. So this is how the alliance becomes more than just uh, a military, but like a government, too. Okay, so. Yep. All right. So we need to go to the middle of the show. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the actual structure of the military. So we'll be back in just a minute. Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign and this station is mine. I like the sound of that. All right, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, 
right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix, over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect, expressvpn.com slash Mass Effect to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Brian Burton. It's been 26 years since the bombs fell. And since I've left the vault, I've been trying to rebuild. This isn't the Appalachia that I remember. There's so much more to everything going on. And I promise to find the answer. So if you're out there, if you're listening, just hone in on these coordinates. Remember, there's a place for you at the end. Omega. The Omega Broadcast Fallout Story is available on iTunes, Spotify, and many great podcasting sources. All right, so this is the middle of the show, and this is one of my favorite parts of the show because we get to thank our patrons who help us do this every week by supporting the show and making this a thing that we can do and this is this else this is like a side thing that helps pay for uh for sam to do this on the side and also helps pay for me to do this full time as a podcaster and and running the network so thank you to all of our patrons and we currently have 42 42 patrons right now this is amazing and big shout outs to our three shepherds i guess i guess there can be multiple shepherds this is like a multiverse thing going on here so we have um pipe man sovereign and stagger and stumble who are our our three shepherds and man you guys are amazing thank you so so much and just a reminder we have new shirts and stickers on the patreon these are limited edition they will only ever be up on the patreon once they're off the patreon you can never get them again they will not be up on the store on the robots radio store and they're they're just for you guys i didn't raise the cost of the different tiers if you are currently tier four or higher then you will be getting a t-shirt in the next three months if you stay at those tiers and every three months after that you will get another t-shirt and these things look awesome if you haven't seen them yet go to patreon.com slash mass effect lorecast and check out the post with all the different images on there they are super super cool and if you are a tier three patron you'll be getting stickers so go check those up out as well so thank you to all of you guys this is just an extra thing that we could throw on there for you guys it's costing us with more money to put them on there but we thought it was worth it because you guys have been so awesome and it's just a way to say you know thank you for for being there and for staying on there and, and being supportive also a reminder we have our patron episode coming up next week this is super exciting because we're going to do a fun game show sam set up a bunch of questions i'm going to host the show we're going to quiz you guys on some some questions and we're going to have a fun prize for the winner sam do you want to tell them about this (laughs) yeah uh so this is something that we found just last week I think we were trying to brainstorm to give the winner of the trivia show a kind of badge of honor. 
to wear with pride. And I think we found the perfect thing to give them. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it, but this is something that the winner will be able to wear with pride. They will gain the honorary title of Spectre. And they're also going to severely impress Tom and me uh, because (laughs) some of these questions I've written are pretty hard. Yeah. So you'll be you'll be getting an actual uh, reward in order to show off and show that you are uh, this month's lore master. Should we call them a lore master? A lore lore caster master lore captain lore lore commander command command lore lore? commander a command lore Mm, a mandalorian that's that's star wars that's we can't do that that doesn't make any sense a lore weaver a lore debater Mm, now we're getting weird that's uh mm. Debater rhymes with weird stuff. All right, but we also have some new reviews to to read out. So let's get to those. We have Robert Johan, I think is how you pronounce it, from the U.S. He writes, best game podcast, five stars. Mass Effect has been my all-time favorite game since it came out, and none of my friends got into it. So this feels like home and a way to nerd out that I couldn't with my friends. I got the first Mass Effect when it came out and have played all of them multiple times. I never dug super deep into the lore besides just skimming the codex when I play. The hosts are both great and it's nice to have the perspective of someone who has never fully played and one who has played multiple times. Keep up the good work. Good work. Love it. P.S. I know I'm coming late to it. Uh, Came out to i'm sorry i know i'm coming late to when it came out so i don't know if you covers this at the end of mass effect 3 the ild man and boy day one more story about the shepherd i think there's some typos in there maybe because this was on a phone or something has always had me waiting for a fourth game not andromeda I think that's what that was. I know to say. what he's talking about. The old man at the and the little boy there old at, the man. End, at the very end right. of the game. Yeah. Not ill man. Um, got it. Yeah. And not we waiting, me waiting. So, yes. Uh, yeah, we're looking forward to the next game as well. And then we also, but thank you for that, Robert. And then we also have one from I am the Buttercap from the United, the Buttercat from the United States who writes the perfect fit. Five stars. With over 700 hours into a franchise, I was looking for a podcast that didn't talk about gameplay and discussing how to play, but more of a deep dive into the galaxy and stories of the characters that I hold so dear. Lorecast fit the bill perfectly. So here I am, Commander Jenna Femshep, aka Pathfinder, Sapphire Rider, aka Genesis, aka Valkyrian for Life. And uh, Genesis is also one of our new patrons who we'll give another shout out to at the beginning of next month when we go through all of the patrons who signed up this month. So thank you. Thank you very much for that review and also for being one of our uh, our new patrons, Genesis. So super cool. 700 hours. Holy moly. Wow. That might that might be (laughs) actually that's definitely more than I have into the series. Uh, So that's a badge of honor in and of itself yes man yeah yeah you should check your uh your hours on your your xbox do you have like a, a time on there on check yeah well unfortunately i think it got rid of the original xbox 360 hours mm. that i put into the game so i would have no way of knowing yeah well there you go so yeah but next week make sure that you're here same time same channel same place if you're a patron and if you haven't set up your connection to the discord make sure you do that that's where all the communication is and be ready to go we will be sharing the link on the discord channel on the patron discord channel for the zoom call so you guys can all get in on that and we'll be setting up and ready to go right at 10 30 eastern time for the patron competition game show thing it's gonna be super fun and if you want to tune into that live make sure you're here checking us out on twitch.tv slash robots radio for that all right let's move on with the rest of the show spit it out or are you trying to build suspense you're so dense sir obviously i do not know as much about human relationships as i thought okay so we have the alliance military now right we're talking about the military and when it comes to space militaries normally we discuss them as navies that's usually how it goes when it's sci-fi stuff because ships in space it's kind of like boats 
we call them Alliance Marines, right? So it's like a Navy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's basically it. That's a good point. I think the difference can be best summed up as Alliance Marines are the ground forces of the Alliance Navy. The ones who land planet side and engage in combat, you know, from the dirt. Uh, the rest would be considered the Alliance Navy, the ships, the fighters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as for reference to certain infantrymen being called soldiers, uh, I think that the writers used the term interchangeably without thinking. I don't think we should really look too far into that. Okay, that, that makes sense. Okay, so we know from Mass Effect 1 that um, aliens are wary of the human's political ambitions, which makes sense because it seems like we kind of jump right into the scene, right? How much of this anxiety is due to the military side of the alliance? Well, I think a fair amount, probably. Um, the results of the first contact war, humanity was vastly outnumbered and outgunned. They had inferior technology, and yet they dared to take back Shanxi anyway. Um, and the council regards the Alliance as a sleeping giant because only 3% of humans volunteer for military service. So their victory in the first contact war was with just 3% of their population. Most other species have a far larger percentage in the military. Um, so these things are probably cause for concern if you're already cautious of the newcomer who's ambitious and has considerable military might and mm -hmm. learns very quickly. It's it, it would all be things that would put you off, right? If there was a new kid on the block and all of a sudden you're like, uh, he's kind of a big threat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, at a, ma a more macro level, let's talk about their doctrine a little bit. Um, at a macro level, the Alliance military is focused much more on mobility and rapid deployment, not so much, um, on absorbing and dishing out heavy hits like the Turians and Krogan. Uh, so when they need to attack, According to the Codex itself, the Codex's entry on doctrine, the Systems Alliance, quote, bypasses enemy strong points and launches deep into their rear. <laughs> what? <laughs> I shit you not. So wait, 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 wait. So the military's main mode of attack is to sneak it in the dumper. Just go right in there. They just okay. by, bypass the strong points and launch deep into the rear. Okay, that so, is the Alliance doctrine. So have you heard of the uh, the game that Japanese school children play called, I believe it's called Kamcha? Kancho. Kancho? Yes, where yeah, they go. Kancho, yeah. Kamcho, like that? <laughs> have, you, have you heard of this? Yeah, yeah. Go, I, I've heard of this, and it's, I don't know. I mean, to me, it sounds like a quick way to break your fingers. Yes. So they sneak up behind each other and their teachers. And oh, my gosh. The teachers are in this, too? Yes. Uh, there's a blog <laughs> by an American, uh, African-American male teacher that I remember reading a decade ago about his experiences as an African-American male going to Japan to teach and one of his stories in his blog was the game Kamcho that that the Japanese children would play and they would do it to him as well <laughs> and they would sneak up behind each other and their teachers and they would put their hands together like this and you can see in the video with like their two fingers their pointer and their middle fingers together so they've got four fingers in like a little like gun position and they'd sneak up behind each other and they would then ram their fingers right up each other's butts and yell, Kamcho! Like that. And this was a thing that they did. And they would and do it to their teachers as well. You have bragging rights for yes. having Kam stinky fingers. Kamcho, your classmates and or teachers. <laughs> I showed him. Yeah, <laughs> I just rammed my fingers up that other person's butt. Yeah, uh, whatever. I guess I, I'll never understand. Um, so, so they, they use it, they use the Kamcho tactics of war. Yes. Also, yes. Also, the alliance uses the Kamcho tactics. Also, I did quick math. If there were ten billion people on Earth, humans at the time, then their military at only three percent was three hundred million people. 
Yeah, that's which a, is really not that of, many. But that's still a lot of freaking people. 300 million people is a lot of people. A lot of people in space. That's like, how do you that, put that many people in space? That's a lot of spaceships. Yeah, maybe it's only 3% because humanity doesn't have the resources to, to support yeah. more people in space. I mean, how many how many spaceships does that take? That's a lot of spaceships to put 300 million people on spaceships. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um that is a lot you know logistically speaking that would be a nightmare that's um that's the population that's just under the population of the united states all on spaceships in space in space <laughs> well i guess not all of them are in space a lot of the alliance personnel are either planet side sure. or in space stations or they're right. you know on colonies and or on earth even. Uh, or we're in space at some point yeah, or we're in space at some point. Um, but you know, the Alliance's concho tactics actually have a purpose. Uh, they help cut the supply lines. They damage the infrastructure. And in oh, they, theory... They, I mean, they ram it up there far enough. They're definitely going to damage your infrastructure. <laughs> oh, they're definitely going to do some damage there. Yeah. Um, and in theory, it minimizes civilian casualties so that enemies just wither on the vine. It's designed to attack enemy war making capability, not enemy planets. Um, that's the whole point. So they're targeting um, they're targeting military resources specifically and industrial resources. Right. Yeah. OK, well, that um, makes sense. That makes sense. And that's that's a natural evolution of the way that war has been fought since World War Two. Um, just attack the centers of industry, attack all of these things. Um, defensively, however, the Alliance has adopted one of Sun Tzu's philosophies, which is he who tries to defend everything defends nothing. And what that means is basically the Alliance keeps token garrisons at each colony and space station, but it's not large forces of, of, of people. The Alliance keeps those massive eight fleets that they have stationed at the galaxy's largest crossroads, which are mass relays, you know, uh, AKA the one, the, the specific mass relays that link to the most systems so that they can respond to any colony under attack with the full might of their Navy on a moment's notice. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So serious mobilization there. And I imagine the deterrent is the threat of overwhelming force to any Merc or pirate band who would dare to attack one of the colonies. You know, they're going to have to go against basically the entire Alliance Navy. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like as soon as you realize that that's the, the plan, you could easily distract, you know, distract and then, attack somewhere else and then they either have to split or they commit fully to one and then they can't get to the second one but so that's actually what happens when yeah. the reapers invade uh the reapers basically distract the alliance and then make a beeline to earth um and that's part of why earth gets overrun so fast so quickly um and uh actually the fourth fleet as well as some other alliance forces are destroyed completely uh in this whole uh, reaper blitz um i might be wrong on that it might be a numbered a uh, different numbered fleet but at least at least one of the fleets is completely destroyed um this type of reflexive military approach is similar to what the u.s uh has practiced for a long time and it's also typical of a peacekeeping force and it's also defensive in nature. I liken it to the martial art of Wing Chun. Uh, it's actually what uh, Ip Man practiced, the trainer of Bruce Lee, uh, because it responds to these attacks with incapacitating speed. And so I think that's a good uh, analogy you can make if for any uh, martial arts fans out there. Mm -hmm. The Alliance, you mentioned, you know, it would be very logistically difficult to support that many people in space. Well, I, I brought up that they probably have a lot of people planet side or in uh, other other places that are not on the front line because the Alliance takes advantage of a lot of tech like the Solarians do. They use a lot of drones, a lot of electronic warfare, a lot of technical support, and they're all assisted by VIs. Right. Wing Chun just makes me want to say everybody Wing Chun tonight. But um. <laughs> That's an old song. Okay, so we don't have too much time to get into the weeds or anything uh, about the individual ships and units in the Na in the Alliance Navy. But um, I wanted to ask you, because it, it's a question several of our listeners have sent us, um, do we know how the ships are named? 
In fact, we do. Uh, and it's a great question. And as many have picked up, there is indeed a rhyme and reason to the naming. Mm -hmm. There are four main categories of ships in the Alliance. They are dreadnoughts. The dreadnoughts are the big beefy boys, the big beefy battleships, the big beefy uh, <laughs> buddy battleships, the big, big beefy, beefy battle buddy boy battleships, buddy, big beefy battle buddy ships. No. All right. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> There's also the frigates, which are the fast, smaller scout ships. The fast fighting, There's the fa fast scout. fighting kung fu mm, ships. That I can't do. That one doesn't going to work either. Sorry, go on. We have the cruisers, which are heavier armed than a frigate. However, they're faster than a dreadnought, and they form the backbone of most fleets. And then finally, we have carriers, which are very similar in function to aircraft carriers nowadays. Uh, they carry fighters. So the dreadnoughts in the Alliance are all named after mountains. Makes sense. If you have an 888 meter long spaceship, which one of the dreadnoughts in the Alliance actually is, that's almost a kilometer long. It's like that's the size a of a crazy size. Yeah. Yeah. It's the size of a mountain. Um, the cruisers are named for cities on earth. The frigates are named for some of humans history, human history's biggest battles. And the carriers are named after humanity's greatest leaders, artists, scientists, et cetera, et cetera. All of them share the SSV designation. SSV actually has a uh, meaning. It stands for Systems Alliance Space Vehicle. Oh. So every time you hear SSV Normandy, now you know. It stands for Systems Alliance Space Vehicle. Cool. Okay. And maybe, you know, now that I think about it, maybe that's why you never hear the Normandy referred to as SSV in Mass Effect 2. Because it's not an Alliance vehicle. Mm. It's a Cerberus one. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not theirs anymore. Well, it's, yep. it's not, it never was because it was remade. Right. It was the Normandy SR2 right. after that. So yeah. the Normandy SR2 was not created to be an Alliance uh, frigate. However, it was you know, designed after the uh, first one with some quality of life upgrades. And to answer another specific question while we're on the topic of carriers, um, by one of our listeners, Finrear asked why the Alliance relies so heavily on carriers as opposed to dreadnoughts like other races in the Milky Way do. Well, we were spitballing some reasoning, you know, including the writers maybe having an affinity for World War II naval history um, and in, in the Pacific specifically. Um, in the Pacific specifically, try to say that five times fast. Uh, the U.S. used aircraft-centric fleet formations, whereas the Japanese still embraced what is called Mahanian naval theory. That just means that the fleets were built around big ships, big guns. These are the conversations, by the way, that you are all missing out on if you're not in the Discord. <laughs> nice. Um, and so we were kind of spitballing, throwing those ideas out. Maybe the writers just, you know, are really big, uh, history buffs. And maybe that's why, um, they let the Alliance, you know, rely so heavily on carriers. It was a callback to the American Navy in world war II. Well, no, that's not the case. I did some digging and it turns out the question has a really simple answer in the game. When the council had the Alliance sign the treaty of Ferrixen, the Alliance agreed to limit its production of dreadnoughts a move that the council uses to keep the Turians as, as superior and supreme galactic peacekeepers. Uh, the ratio of exactly of Turian to council to associate dreadnoughts is five to three to one, meaning for every five dreadnoughts, the Turians construct the Asari, the Salarians, and later the humans are allowed to construct three. All other Citadel races are only allowed to construct one for every five Turian dreadnoughts. So always skilled at finding loopholes, Alliance chiefs under the consultation of some seriously loaded galactic lawyers, I'm sure <laughs> sidestep this by increasing their carrier production. 
carriers are not restrained by the treaty because prior to the prior to humanity really entering the scene, carriers were not utilized. Um, not like that. And they're not restrained by the treaty because their primary weapons are fighters, not these huge ship length mass accelerator cannons. They're, you know, they are very large ships, which house a bunch of fighters. I, I would say fighter jets, but they're not jets. Um, they house all of these fighters and collectively, if they are protected by cruisers, I would imagine the naval theory would play out similar to how the World War II uh, engagements played out. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you're interested in that, there's a whole episode in uh, World War II in color on Netflix about that. The whole uh, post um, uh, Pearl Harbor conflict with the, the Japanese and the way that things played out with carriers and why carriers became the predominant most important ship in the in the Navy, um, which talks about that. So if you want to go look that up, go look it up because it might actually apply directly here as well, which is really cool. So, yeah, that's interesting. That's that's really neat. So I guess that wraps up the episode. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we had some technical difficulties earlier, but we we worked through it. We got to the end and by God, we're here. Um, and, you know, we're looking looking forward. Um, I'm thinking we have a f- I, I have a, a few immediate factions that I think we can cover now that we're at least done with the alliance for now. Uh, and a few of them that come to mind are Cerberus, the Spectres, the Blood Pack. Um, those are a few just off the top of my head that I'm thinking of. If you're curious why we didn't go into the N7 designation and and special forces, that's because there may or may not be a future episode all about the special forces of the Milky Way. Ooh, the special Milky forces. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I don't want to Google that. <laughs> yeah, don't don't Google that. Don't. Nope. No good. Well, thank you no for no idea what's going to come up for that. <laughs> yeah, don't don't Google that one. Uh, thank you for joining us. Oh no, Commander Sovereign in chat says too late. Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Thank you for joining us, everybody. This is always super fun to have you guys here, especially those of you who can make it to the live episode. It's always fun to see your your comments and chat. And thank you for hanging out with us. You have anything going on coming up you want to share before we head out, Sam? Uh, well, assuming I can get my PC in line, uh, I was going to start streaming Mass Effect Legendary Edition, my insanity playthrough uh, with Fimshep from my PC. Uh, so that will be fun. And of course, my camera will work for that one. Um, let's just hope that uh, tech support can actually help me solve the problem. Let's hope it's not a big problem. Um, and the sooner it gets solved, the sooner I'm streaming on PC. But until then, I can wrap up my Mass Effect uh, three game. So mass effect male ship, uh, playthrough. I'm currently in the middle of the Corian geth war. So not sure how that one's going to play out. As I've mentioned before, I didn't secure Tally's loyalty in mass effect two. Um, that was on purpose, but we'll see how that plays out. If you want to follow along, follow me on Twitch. That's at in seven, the legend, um, at in seven, the legend on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, and you know, that, that, that's about it for me. I mean, I'm really looking forward to next week. Of course, you know, we got the patron chat our our very first mass effect trivia show and, um, pride and prestige are on the line, you know, as we get to find out who the top fan is, we, we get to find out who's been brushing up on their mass effect knowledge. This could go, this is go any way. You never know. It depends on the questions. It depends on who's, you know, got the info. We're just, we're just going to have to see. So, uh, yeah, well, I hope things work out for your computer. I hope tech support's able to help out. I hope it's not a huge issue and hope, you know, worst case you send it back and you're able to get a replacement or buy something else, you know, but, uh, I'm sure things will work out eventually. It's just kind of a pain in the butt. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start back up my, uh, just streaming while I work streams during the day. So I'll probably be on around eight 30 tomorrow morning. I'll be editing this podcast and, uh, some of the other podcasts I do doing some, uh, video editing some image editing for like thumbnails and things like that so if you want to come hang out with me i'd love to have the company it's fun to chat with people while i work also i'm happy to answer questions about any of the stuff i'm working about on content creation editing content uh questions about any of that stuff feel free to drop by and just hang out with me during the day while i work on stuff it's always fun to have you know people to chat with while I do that. So that's going to be here on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash robots radio. And, uh, we'll see you guys next week. And if you want to come by tomorrow night, Monday nights, 10 30 
p.m. Eastern's time for uh, Sam and I, we do the Xbox Game Pass show. So we'll be talking about some of the new games on the Xbox Game Pass as well. So come check us out for that. You don't have to have the Xbox Game Pass to join us for that. And Xbox Game Pass, if you do, works on Xbox and on PC. And it also works for um, streaming games directly to your PC. Even if you don't have a graphics card, you can just, you know, do it over the Internet. So it's actually amazing. So. But if you just want to find out about new games that are out, things that you might want to try out, it's a wonderful podcast to listen even just for that stuff. So come join us for that tomorrow night. Same channel. And we'll see you guys next week. Talk about some more Mass Effect. So see you guys then. All right, everybody. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com. Looking for an RPG podcast that isn't just D&D? Roll to cast is the answer. No, no, wait, sorry. What games have we played so far? Well, we've done Cyberpunk 2020. What does it mean to have a voice? And there's going to be something big coming, Chumba. Hey, if you're listening, I won. I beat you. You suck. There was a time when we were slamming things against our phones. and <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade. Chloe, Sam. You can't use those words. He's going to grab Vincent, press him against the wall. I mesmerize him. This is Adelaide's Anarch movement. First out of your chair, your hand goes to your gun and you draw. Hulk Cthulhu. Told you I had it. Oh, we've all got the creeps going. I love it so much. Right there. Screechy child. <laughs> my favorite daughter. Maybe after what we just seen, we're feeling a bit trigger happy. And the new Cyberpunk Red. Babe, you're good, but better. Thought maybe you might be able to give me a counter off. Straight through his neck. I don't see bone either, but I'm not gonna look. My leg's fine. I always knew you wanted to fly, kid. Come find me. Roll to cast. R-O-L-E. A new game every season. Original music. Original stories. Interviews with the creators. And delightful Aussie accents. Listen to us on all good podcatchers. Even support us on Patreon for bonus content. That's Roll to Cast. R-O-L-E. Come discover a new world. Following is a public service announcement from the starter set Dungeons and Dragons podcast. This is your D&D campaign. This is the starter set podcast. You know how like poison frogs don't lick each other's backs? So it's Howl's Moving Castle mm-hmm. with a face. Mm. Hey there, I'm Great Mandibles. Because <laughs> one of the party speaks abyssal. You're all going to die. <laughs> and then adventure falls into your lap. Plop. This is your D&D campaign after listening to the Starter Set Podcast. <laughs> so join Sam and Ed every Friday on the Starter Set Podcast for prime Dungeons & Dragons content. Any questions? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.